You're listening to the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and thanks for tuning in to tonight's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and I want to say a big hello to regular listener Peg Nash in Newcastle West. Peg is in touch regularly with her feedback about the show and it's always great to hear from you, Peg. I thought it was about time that I said hello to you on air and I'm delighted that you take the time every week to tell me what guests you enjoy hearing from on each show. You'll have to come on yourself one of these days because, to be fair, I do hear you're a bit of a jet setter and I'm sure you have lots of fabulous places that you've been to that you could be telling us about if you want to be like peg and get in touch with me feel free to drop me a line to s.noonan at live.ie or you can tweet me at queen of org which is short for organization coming up on the show tonight ron from forestal wine merchants makes a welcome return to talk about our favorite topic of wine food writer Dee laffin shares her new year food resolutions John Healy, maitre d' extraordinaire, will be talking about the restaurant, which is currently on TV3 at 9pm on Wednesday evenings. And I find out all about the Meet the Beggars event that is on in Kilkenny this Saturday. But first, it's a very warm welcome to Ron from Forestal Wine Merchants. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Ron, you're very welcome to the studio this evening. Thanks, Sharon. And I have a question for you before we look at some wines that you've brought in tonight. And that is, over Christmas, a lot of people may have received as gifts bottles of champagne, Prosecco, Cava. And despite their best efforts to get through them all over Christmas, they may have some left over. Will it keep? Should it be stored in a certain way? Or is it just best to crack it open this weekend and enjoy it? Sure. You know, it, most of these sparklings, champagne, Prosecco, Cava, keep pretty well. Um, the only thing about them is that they don't tend to have a vintage, only the really better ones tend to have a vintage. So it's very hard to tell what year they were actually made in. They're non-vintage. So that's that. That's a slight worry uh, that they might be a couple of years before you ever got them. So listen, the best thing is to use them. Um, Prosecco is meant to be drank young. It's not meant to be stored and, and kept it's not going to increase in any kind of value or anything, so it's it's not that that kind of product. But I'd say the main thing is about the storage is just not to have it anywhere too cold or anywhere too hot. So the a shelf in the kitchen isn't the best because temperatures are pretty high. The garage isn't great because they tend to go kind of cold. Uh, under the stairs is perfect normally because it's shaded, no direct sunlight or direct artificial light or sunlight is a problem as well for it. Or if you have that old wine cellar knocking around the place, <laughs> gather up the, the bottles and put them in, into it. Yeah, but under the stairs is perfect. Um, like for a sparkling and, and champagne with mushroom corks, with champagne corks, there's no issue with air getting in because they're so compact. There's no issue. Where if you have wine now, that's different. Uh, that needs to be stored properly. And it's best not to have your whites in the fridge all the time. You know, if you have a bottle of a nice bottle of white and you have it in the fridge for three months, it's best to leave it at that. Uh, room temperature. I'm sure that doesn't happen now in many households, but you never know. <laughs> I know it's always nice to have some white in the fridge. Ready to go, yeah. yeah. Yeah, ready to go. And what I found now over Christmas was you actually gave me a lovely bottle of red 
for Christmas Day. Did you have it? No, we didn't because <laughs> there was so much else going on and I think I was in charge of that and I had had so much Prosecco and whatnot in the morning that I it just totally went over my head. But I did bring it back from Balamina. I had taken it up to the north All right, okay. to my parents. So I was keeping it because I want, mm. you know, I really want to taste it and enjoy it myself. And one of the things that you had said was about opening it and letting it breathe for an hour. Mm. And that's where I'm having the problem even for an hour no just being prepared and, like, uh, you know, and, enough, yeah. and I did have a friend to stay there last week and we were going out for dinner and I had phoned my husband to say will you open that bottle and leave it there to breathe and he dutifully did it but it was the wrong bottle <laughs> <laughs> well if you want to speed up the process just get a nice clean glass jug now it has to be clean you make sure there's anything in the jug there's no film of anything or dishwashers or that nice clean jug pour the bottle of wine into it and pour it back into the bottle again really yeah that aerates it very quickly okay yeah. or you can buy you can buy aerators yeah okay. for the job but if you don't have one of those just, just pour it out and pour it back in okay perfect That'll I speed might up do the that then because what I do find then is with the white wine if you have a few bottles in the yeah in the fridge and you have company well that's grand you can open them as you need them whereas with the red if you're trying to get the best of them you don't know how many bottles you're going to go through is it going to be a one bottle night or is it going exactly. to be a one plus but the, the thing I suggest is keep it of ice ice is the best way to chill chill wine that if you get a nice bucket it doesn't even have to be a nice bucket any container that's going to be able to hold a flower pot in it all that's going to be able to hold a bottle of wine with ice and, and not just ice but put water into it so that the water, so the ice can get completely around the bottle, and a good ice bucket um, with fresh ice in it will chill a bottle in about fifteen minutes. Okay. Well, you mentioned prosecco there, and mm. you've brought a prosecco in tonight, and you've brought in a few other bottles, and they're all good value for money because it's January and we're tightening Absolutely. our belts. Some people might have a dry January, but if you're not, you have great value here for us. Well, these are all things that are available all year. It's not just in January. So this is kind of an idea that. This time of year, over the next couple of months, if you have anything coming up at all, just to keep in mind that there's some fantastic value out there, particularly under about 10 euros a bottle. Um, now, the thing is that you've got to find something. You know, it, there's products, a load of products out there that are selling for six, seven, eight, nine euros a bottle. Um, it's it's important to, to, I reckon, to spend around nine euros, a little bit over at least, because you have to be sure that there's so much duty in excise and vat and everything coming out of it that God, there's nothing left for the wine itself if, if you're going to be spending six or seven euros on a bottle. I mean zero. There's nothing left at all for the wine. So you have to keep that in mind. But anyway, today what we brought along, we brought along six wines. I'll run through them quickly. That these are all very good value, all under a tenner, a couple of them under nine euros a bottle. Um, we have an old faithful Pinot Grigio from Italy called La Delicia. Very popular. Restaurants use it a lot as a pouring wine, a wine by the glass. And I mean, Pinot Grigio just broke all records this December. It was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. In terms of sales? Sales. Just frightening. Because it would be viewed very much as a summer wine. It really would. You know, and, and normally the, the reds tend to take over a bit in the winter. But this Christmas, there was particularly a couple of restaurants that, that I deal with that were going through, like, they'd normally buy a case of Pinot Grigio a week and they were going through two cases and two cases and two cases they're just they were just running out it was amazing and is that because their overall business had increased as well because I have heard some yeah. people in the restaurant industry saying that it has been a great Christmas that they can really see an improvement I think the two things uh, were better this year 
the um, it was a long month, um, as in they had a very good run into Christmas, but they had a really good period between Christmas and New Year, because there was the way it kind of fell really suited restaurants. Whereas they even had the weekend after New Year's, which felt like it was still nobody back to work, particularly until the Monday. So that gave them an extra couple of days. That was really, really good for them. But the second one, and this is a general consensus across the board from restaurants, is that the uh, the spend was up. As in, whereas before they might have sold an awful lot of house wine um, or early birds, menus or that kind of thing, that just there was a little bit more in the spend. People wanted something slightly better. Now they weren't pushing out the boat now and buying Chablis Premier Crew or anything. But they were buying wine for 27, 28 euros a bottle. Well, that's great news for the hospitality industry. It's absolutely, it's great. Absolutely. So it is. But I, I think it's great because I think there's, the house wine sometimes can be slightly overpriced. There's just no getting away from that in restaurants in particular. But I think the super value just above that, just above that level at that, you know, 22, 24, 26 euro mark for a couple of euros. It's a huge difference in quality sometimes. Okay. So, so as I said, we have a Pinot Grigio. I'll go through the whites first. Pinot Grigio called La Delicia. Costs around 9.50 a bottle. Really, really popular product. It works very well during the summer, but as I said, it, it carried on all through the year this year. I have a Hazy View Chenin Blanc, which is from uh, South Africa. Very fresh, easy to drink Chenin Blanc. Costs around 9 euros a bottle, just over 9 euros a bottle. Uh, then I brought another Sauvignon Blanc from Romania. Calosari. Uh, Sauvignon Blanc uh, Romania is is uh, really pushing on and uh, trying to promote their wines in a, in a huge way in the last year uh, but the quality is exceptionally good um, cost around 9.50 a bottle it's a lovely product really nice and is it more cost effective than some of the other countries because of labour costs and things like that yeah they'd have that uh, they have a huge tradition of growing grapes now you know it's not a new um, industry to them at all they've had um, couple of thousand years where they've been producing wine so it's not it's not a new thing to them now the thing about the, the problem that they slightly have is that there's a perception that just doesn't doesn't carry well for Romanian wines uh, Bulgarian wines have the same problem um, but they're getting over that with a couple of nice wineries that are really um, um, getting uh, accepted in the in the trade which is what had needs to happen see it needs to happen in, in the magazines and in decanter and wine enthusiasts and magazines like that that's what decides whether these guys have a future or not. Sure. Unfortunately, it's not the public. It's it's a handful of people who taste their wines and say whether they're up to scratch or not. But they will. They will be around and they're there and the products look very well. And I always think that's half the battle with these products. That if they look the part. But that particular Sauvignon Blanc is lovely and the Merlot well and it's very good. On the reds then, I brought a Chilean Brisa Cabernet uh, Merlot, which comes in a Cabernet Sauvignon as well. Costs around nine euros a bottle. Great product. Just super house wine product works very well then just slightly above that just under 10 euros a bottle I have a Primitivo from Italy uh, called Santoro from uh, Puglia in Italy very heel of Italy down the bottom that, that's it's a step above probably the house wine mark now it's just slightly above that but it's very good product really really like that one perfect time of year for drinking it where you're drinking heavier kind of meaty dishes and then I bought a Prosecco which is a Frizzante screw top bottle Prosecco from La Delicia again, um, costing just over 10 euros a bottle, but f- absolutely flew this year um, in December. Amazing uh, amount of Prosecco has gone through this year. Amazing. Yeah, it's become hugely popular, I have to say, amongst friends and family that at this time of the year or Christmas or any time of the year, really, you could go in and that's what is being offered to you first off. And if you're very lucky, you could be drinking it all night. Which Do you find people are drinking it at home, though? Yes, 
Really? Absolutely, yes. Yeah, that, that bear, I was actually in a supermarket just today and I was looking at the amount of Prosecco that they had. They must have had 12 different Proseccos which means that they must have people buying it. Yeah, absolutely. No, I have been to a number of occasions over the past eight weeks, say, really? and there has been, it's been Prosecco now. Not it's champagne, not, not Cava, it's Prosecco. But it's not cheap. No. It's like, it's it's expensive. Yeah. Like the real Prosecco, like the real pop-off cork. Yeah, I just, I'm amazed by it. I'm just amazed by the, the sheer amount of products that they had yeah. um, in, a, in, a, in a big big supermarket now but they had probably 12 real Proseccos as in mushroom cork pop-off Proseccos costing anywhere from 17 to 25 euros a bottle there you it's go. expensive yes yeah. Yeah. Um, but, um, but that, that just shows you that things are changing obviously things are changing slightly in terms of alcohol levels percentage mm. alcohol in these are they all kind of around the same yeah there's, you know, whenever it comes to wine, what about non-alcoholic wines or very low in alcohol wines? Is that something that you find that there has been a demand for? Uh, no, there hasn't. Um, there, there's been some demand for lower alcohol level ones, but nothing that that justifies, um, you know, trying to search out these products. Actually, I'm taking on a product um, next month which is actually brought in by a food company because it's a non-alcoholic product, so it can be shipped in without excise, if you know what I mean. So it's very, very reasonable. Uh, it's sparkling from Italy called uh, Astoria 9.5. Very attractive bottle, but it tastes beautiful. And now there's no alcohol at all in this. And what's the 9.5 then? It's a marketing thing. Their whole range, This is they have an alcoholic, but they also have real Prosecco and they have, um, they have a range of other wines as well. And they're very modern, very modern um, packaging. And this is called 9.5. It has no reference to the amount of anything that was in it before. Because that, to me, that, um, that's immediately what I'd be thinking is at 9.5%, because of a low alcohol, that's probably the lowest alcohol content I've ever seen in a bottle, 9.5. Yeah, I, I, I've only seen a couple of them. Uh, I have, I've, I've a, an Australian product that I took in last October called River Retreat Arrange, and their Sauvignon Blanc is 11%, and they market it as a low alcohol Sauvignon Blanc. Yeah. Because most of them are all 13 or 14. Yeah. That couple percent makes a huge difference. It does, yeah. When you're drinking it over it does. several hours. And it's hours. a lovely Sauvignon Blanc. Costing around like 12 euros a bottle. It's lovely. But mm-hmm. I, I didn't I didn't push that point now. Selling it, I didn't push the point that it was 11%. Because I, I didn't think people needed to... I don't think it's going to be a selling point. Nobody's asked me to come up with products like that. So. I think if it was 5%. Yeah, exactly, yeah. That'd be a huge jump, yeah. But I think, you know, for me personally, if I have the choice, if somebody's saying it's 135 or 11%, it's not really going to influence which one I go for. You see, the, the issue is, Sharon, that no self-respecting winery is going to do that to their wine, which means they're de-alkalizing it, which three are boiling it. <laughs> Or or variety of other processes which do not lend to it tasting any better. Doesn't sound like it would. <laughs> so, but you must keep us posted now about the. I'll bring it into the next time. I'll have yeah, it by the next time. And it's coming in snipes as well. Oh, cool. Um, okay. But very reasonable. Like you'd buy this in a bar, uh, in a snipe, in a two hundred mil pop off cork version of it, like or a screw cap cork, but it looks like pop off. Uh, tastes really nice. Full of bubbles. Um, it looks great now. It looks fantastic. Um, you buy in a bar for around three euros or three fifty. Because I did notice over the Christmas period that there were a lot of people asking for non-alcoholic beers. Yeah, that that market seems to have uh, improved. Now I know there's a huge issue with the 
to, from talking to a couple of hotels who with non-alcoholic beers, as in the range isn't there at all, their suppliers are not supplying what they want to buy. They want to have like two or three products because they want to offer choice. Because if they look around on a night in a, in a bar, it's probably 10% of the people there who, are, who would have something if it was available nicer than, than you know drinking sparkling water down the corner mm. they made them feel a bit more uh, whatever but the, the huge issue with the, with the product then they have an issue over dates on the product when they get it in it tends to go off pretty very quickly because the date's very short yeah because no alcohol yeah and then it is maybe one of those things really the, the volume isn't there in terms of sales yeah I think people talk about it more than actually drink it mm. yeah chances are but hopefully we will see more of it there and more people opting for it as well Yes, yeah. There's, I, I think there's a market for for wine at around five or six percent, and because it's it will be cheaper on the market, because the excise is much lower. Okay. On uh, lower alcohol, because uh, excise is is determined by the amount of alcohol in the bottle. Okay. Well, thanks very much for bringing those wines in. The details are all on your website, which is forestal.ie, and your Facebook page there, Forestal Wine Merchants. That's also, it. so people can get in touch with you through your website and through your Facebook page if they want to place an order. And Ron, thanks very much no for coming. No well at all, Sharon. Thanks very much. You're listening to the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break, Ron Forrestal had some great value wines for us. Never fear if you've missed some of the show as it will be up on The Best Possible Taste podcast later in the week along with all of last year's shows. You'll find the podcast on soundcloud.com forward slash food dash and dash drink dash show. My next guest is about to join me in the studio and she's going to be a regular contributor to the show. Dee Laffin has a lot of strings to her bow and is an accomplished food writer, so I'm delighted that she's going to be sharing her knowledge and expertise here on Best Possible Taste on a regular basis. Let's find out about the New Year food resolutions that she's made for 2015. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. Dee, thanks very much for coming into the studio this evening. Thanks for having me in. And you're here because you want to talk about food-related resolutions. Yeah, that's right. Um, I think, really, I suppose it's hard to deny that we're, we're all over the new year now, but a lot of people have made already a lot of resolutions and it's the first month of the year and it can be a hard one to tackle and you know I think the the reason I I try to come up with a list for myself because I always have I think it is a time of year that we all feel like it's a new start you know let's turn over a new leaf in certain ways and try and do something good for the year let's try and achieve something and that can be related to food as well but I mean I've heard some daft things like you know people are just going to like just eat um, white food was one that I heard for a while like a fad diet you know these kind of or I'm just going to eat like no carbs whatsoever for the whole year um, or unrealistic um, diet uh, like I'm going to lose three stone by the first of March I mean you know these kind of food and it can make food really negative and that's what I'm trying to I guess is kind of say that you can actually make realistic really fun and really good goals for food that can help you achieve all these things like if you want to be healthier if you want to lose weight if you want to save money I've come up with the list of what I feel are quite good 
uh, 10 resolutions that if you adopted any of them that you'd be you know happy enough so you have a list of 10 for us so I have a list of 10 and these are just ones that I've done up myself the first on the list I have is um, to eat more protein um, I think it's a very simple thing protein rich diets are very popular right now um, the paleo diet is very popular where that's where you kind of only eat a lot of meat and fish and organic uh, fruit and veg and meat and you cut out grains completely and a lot of people are using a lot of gyms are using it and promoting it and so there's we're, we're coming into a time now of a trend of protein rich diets we all should and so but while there's extreme versions of that I do believe that there is no harm in eating more protein and I think there are ways of getting it um, as obviously you'll get it from red meat you'll get it from chicken you know you get it from fish but you can also get it from other sources um, like lentils and spinach and things like that and there are great sources out there so I think that if we can all look to incorporate a bit more protein in our diet it'll give us some energy to kind of get through January and February the colder months and, and keep us going that way so that's number one and one of the items we would use at home to try and get more protein into the diet would be almond butter yes I mean the whole almond butter almond milk you know now in general is um, is really coming into its own a lot of people are really turning to that and it's lovely I don't know if you use almond butter I sometimes put um almond butter on some apple slices of apple and just have it like that as a snack it's quite nice or with the the three-year-old we'd put it into a smoothie oh lovely yeah exactly it's really nice and i bet you it makes it really um well smooth like that kind of creamy texture as well in the smoothie so that's really nice so um that's the first one the second one is eat less sugar which i mean kind of is uh, along again the same lines as a as a diet but the reason I'm saying it is that this is going to be the year it's going to be anti-sugar I mean we've already started hearing so many stories features in newspapers and on the news and everything about the hidden um you know the badness about sugar I mean it was salt for a while and these are all different things but I think it's going to become more and more to the forefront now especially when it comes to children and um you know the the problem with obesity in this country so what I'm trying to say is that if everyone could just rather than going I'm not going to eat chocolate ever again because I don't know about you but every time I ban something from myself that's all I can think about so if I go I'm not going to eat any sugar then I'll, all I'll want to eat are things with sugar. <laughs> I end up eating twice as much of Yeah, it you know, I think sometimes it, the stricter we are in ourselves the, the more likely we are to to break that and and to binge so what I'm trying to say is eat less sugar if you look at and, and the first part of this was just about education so looking at the back of, of packets and looking at the label looking at carbohydrates of which sugars and when you see how many grams are there if you divide that number by four it'll tell you how many teaspoons of sugar are in that and I think that's a really good way of looking at it because if you look at something like um well, there's some of those, I don't want to start uh, naming brands, but there are some of those little um, yogurt drinks that, you know, you can throw off and they're good for other things. They have like healthy bacteria and stuff in them, but they also have five teaspoons of sugar. And I mean, that's if you weighed out, actually put five teaspoons of sugar out on a plate or in a bowl it's actually you know really makes your open your eyes and I think we just all need to be a bit more cautious about that so eat less sugar is the um, second one 
Um, then the third one is um, drink less caffeine. Um, I'm going through all the, the negative ones first so that they're the good, the bad news first and then the good news. Drink less caffeine. We all know why. I don't know about you, but I'm addicted to tea. A lot of people are addicted to coffee. And I just think that there are great ways to um, overcome that and really boost your energy throughout the day without like turning to caffeine. I definitely think we're all allowed it, but I just think in moderation. I know that if you drink a glass of hot water with lemon in the morning, it's the best thing to start your metabolism. I don't know why I keep saying it and don't do it, but I'm going to definitely make an effort to do that and to try and replace some of the tea throughout the day with even just hot water and lemon or a herbal tea or glass of water. You know what I mean? Like I need to drink more water anyway. So drink less caffeine is um, the next one. Um, Everyone will be very happy about the the this one. It's um is uh, eat more food. Um, in, in January we all go on these diets. We all make these new New Year's resolution to lose weight by a certain date, certain time. And what we do is we go into starvation mode and we ban so many different things or we deny ourselves so many different things that we're all going around starving ourselves and our bodies just store the fat and will not relent and you won't lose weight that way. And so the best way, and I've you know, I myself, I go to a gym, I have a really good trainer and stuff. And the one thing he gets me to do when he kind of works with me on food and things like that is to start to get me to eat more, which can be a really, a really hard thing to do. I mean, you know, if you have to eat a breakfast, a mid-morning snack, a lunch, an afternoon snack, a dinner, and then maybe a snack in the evening, that's a lot of food. And I don't think any of us are used to that. We all kind of skip meals and we don't keep our body fueled throughout the day. And that's the best thing you can can do for energy for our brains to keep us active so we don't get those slumps is to eat food throughout the day um, so have a good breakfast have a small mid-morning sack like we were just saying the you know an apple with a piece of nut butter or a smoothie make your own juices that kind of thing um, they're great ways so if you kind of keep fueling your body throughout the day then you know it'll it'll burn more fat that way so everybody should be eating more food of good foods obviously as well not piling loads of chocolate into the diet <laughs> so um then at number five i have um not waste any food or not waste as much food as possible and I think it's something we just really need to be conscious of um, I'm, I grew up my dad was always just hated wasting food you know so I've grown up with this kind of really like I get really anxious if someone's about to throw out some food in my house you know I try and find a way like oh no we can do something with that or let's give it to somebody at the very least or something use it as compost you know um, that's an extreme but what I'm trying to say is there's this very simple way not to waste food and that's to plan your menu for the week and I'm always kind of harping on about it but I really think that you'll save so much money I know I do um, you don't have to do like a, an exact menu but what you can plan out is that okay am I going to be eating out any days this week or am I going to be away you know so kind of to take those out so that you're not buying too much food then that's left over if you're going to cook something on a Monday or maybe on a Sunday you might freeze it so that you can take it out um, whether you know it's a lasagna or a casserole or something like that if you're going to be working late 
that you'll have it there so that you're saving time but then you know you might save extra portions of it for that day when you do need them and then you're saving money as well and I just think when you do that you'll have less ingredients left in your fridge at the end of the week to throw out um, if you know what meals you have to cook throughout the week um, and how you're going to use up okay I'm buying mushrooms for spaghetti bolognese on Monday I only need half of them what else can I use them for throughout the week rather than planning on cooking nothing else with mushrooms in them you know simple things like that um and i just think we have massive food waste problem in ireland and you know it's everywhere but i do think we we don't think about it enough so i think it's a really good resolution to have um and it'll end up being beneficial for our pockets as well um the next one is um to eat more eat more vegetables but it's in particular to kind of try and get in some of those superfoods that everybody talks about there's a bit of um I suppose a bit of a lot of people would say that there are there are some people who would argue that there's no such thing as superfoods and that all vegetables and fruit are superfoods and that that's just a term that's come along a trend and to some degree they're they're right but but there are definitely some veg and fruit out there that have massive been you know really beneficial um nutrients and vitamins and stuff in them that we should all be getting into our diets i mean things like you know almonds like we said or almond but you know making the butter from it you can make it yourself it's so simple so easy um apples artichokes asparagus is another one is great um avocados you know lentils um blueberries um uh, broccoli and kale as well they're another great ones and cauliflower um i mean there really is a massive list chia seeds is another thing which has been very popular kind of towards uh, the end of last year and i think we'll be hearing more about that again you can there's a great irish uh, company doing them now as well so they're not imported dark chocolate everyone would be delighted to hear about that um and the usual eggs and fish and flax seeds so there are loads of and that's just a few i mean there are loads of of really good superfoods so just if if you're conscious of getting a few of those kind of ones into your diet um of veg i think that's great um the next one is um something you kind of touched on but to drink um our own homemade juices and smoothies smoothies uh or i think everyone loves smoothie but like i think some of the ones that you buy when you're out in um you know from bars or things like that the ones that were originally set up you know they've a lot of yogurt in there and they've a lot of um or other kind of you know creams and things like that in there and i think they're they're not very good for us but there are there are brilliant juices um and smoothies that you can make at home um i make a, a really lovely um green smoothie that i really like um and it's basically a granny smith apple um the juice of one lime half a cup of spinach leaves baby spinach leaves um some water and about like two or three tablespoons of natural yogurt um, you don't even have to put that much yogurt in it if you don't want and just whiz that up and I mean you know it's a nice healthy green colour as well it's not that kind of gross green colour that no one wants to drink 
But um, and that's a great mid-morning snack, you know. But you, does it taste nice? It actually does because you know the way sometimes you're worried that something with like veg and stuff in it isn't going to taste that nice. But I think this the apple and the lime make it really zingy. But like everyone's going to have their favorites. You can do almost the exact same smoothie that I've just mentioned, but instead of um, putting the apple in it, you can put berries in it. So it could be it's more like a berry smoothie. So you can and I mean there are loads if you go on the internet or you know go to any um kind of um nutritionist websites I guarantee you'll find very simple like uh, juices even just things like carrot and ginger and things like this and so um the last uh two are um is use coconut oil which is um something that is again going to be really popular this year every every time i read another feature they just keep i just keep hearing more and more benefits of coconut oil it's great for your skin it's great in your scalp it's great in your hair but it's also really beneficial for our bodies and if you replace it with some other oils that you're using it can only add more um health benefits into your diet does it flavor the food if you cook it does a little it? it does a little bit which is something i find it's better than if you don't like the taste of coconut or you don't like um, your steak with a hint of kind of coconut off it then you're it's good to use it in like stir fries and things like that casseroles you know as a base to use it so there that's what I'm saying just try and find what works best for you especially if you're cooking for kids you may not you know they may not like the taste but I think a lot of people do like the taste of coconut so that's a good thing and obviously it depends on how much you use as well um the um, another one there is just to, to buy Irish and buy local and it's a really simple resolution to make you don't have to do it all the time but I just think questioning in the shop where your fruit and veg are coming in are coming from you know if you're buying seasonal um, it's more than likely it's going to come from one of your local producers than it is going to have been imported so just a very simple thing but I think it's really worthwhile your support in local economy even Irish economy and it's just something we should all be aware of everyone's been kind of going on about it for a long time so there's some great Irish food out there and the final one which I really think is something really fun is to learn to cook something from scratch um, we all love our shortcuts we all have our favourite um, recipes to cook whether it's spaghetti bolognese where the, whether it's uh, we all love takeaway pizza on a Friday night but um I was really inspired recently by one of my male friends and he is not the type of guy who would I would ever picture cooking anything from scratch but he basically his local pizza that he loved his takeaway closed down and he was devastated because he loved it when he's hung over or when he just loves it you know what I mean so basically it actually pushed him so much so he doesn't like any of the sauces or too sweet he said on all the other kind of pizzas that are, are around so he actually went out and he now buys the base he doesn't make the base he buys it you can get them everywhere and he actually tested he got got a recipe online and just tested it out until he got it right and he now makes his own pizza sauce which I was just I mean I couldn't believe it I was so surprised but he swears by it now and he just said it actually has made him now 
try other things. So I just think if there is some like recipe that you love or something that you cook, but you might use a jar for, or you might use that shortcut, why not just teach yourself something new? Just try it and try it from scratch. And I promise you, you'll be really pleasantly surprised. And it might just get your uh, cooking appetite for the year. Then you'll start trying a few other things. It's a great way to explore food. The 10 great food resolutions for January. And thanks so much for sharing them with us. Thanks so much for having me. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break Dee Laffin shared her food resolutions for 2015 and before that Ron Forrestal had some great value wines for us. But next, what could be better, sitting down on a cold winter's night with one of Ron's lovely glasses of wine and turning on the TV and watching a great TV programme? Well, TV3 has included the restaurant in its 2015 schedule. You might remember it from RTE. It's on Wednesday nights at 9pm. Thankfully, with the usual lineup of chefs that are usually in the kitchen, the critics and the wonderful presenter come maitre d', John Healy, and I'm delighted to have John on the line now. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. John, it's great to have you on the show tonight. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. Now, I want to know all the gossip from behind the scenes at the restaurant. Oh my God, those secrets are never told. Well, ask me a question, I'll see if I can answer it then. (laughs) Well, I want you to walk us through an episode. How, the filming of it, I mean, uh, how does it all start? Like, what time of the day does it all start at? So when somebody agrees to do the show, they devise a menu and we sit down with them. All the chefs and myself sit down with them and we go through the menu with them. Uh, and get their ideas of what they want. And we guide them through, you know, um, if it's not gonna, really not going to work or if it is going to work or maybe you should try something else or if they need our opinion or our help because they're not professional chefs and most of them are just uh, good domestic cooks. So if they need us, we're there for them. So if they, like if somebody says, uh, do you think that'll work? And we go, yes, it will. Or maybe why don't you try this with it or that with it? Now we can't say if something is not going to work completely because this is their idea of what they want to do. So we try and keep it as true to them as we possibly can. And once we meet them and we go through the menu, then we order all the food and then we bring them down to the Wineport Lodge. And once they get to the Wineport, they're in the kitchen from about 9.30 in the morning and they meet the chefs and they go through uh, exactly what they want to do for the day. So it's broken down, as you know, to two starters, two main courses and two desserts. And the guys have two dishes each and they go through each dish and they prepare each dish and they cook each dish to make sure it's okay. And then we do all the tastings. So it does really happen all day long. And then at 5.30, 6 o'clock, we do the tasting and then we go into service. And whenever you go into service, how much of the, the dishes that go out to the diners are actually made by the celebrity chef? Well, it, um, they go, actually what we do is we go to each table first with all the starters then we go through each table, all the main courses, and then each table, all the desserts. So the cameras can get, um, you know, the reactions from the customers of what they're eating. So, and then the critic with the chef, whoever's on a start, like from Gary, the critic will cook with Gary each table. They go to do all the cooking. They do really do all, all the cooking. And they actually, 
have to be there because, um, especially when the critics go out, because they have to make sure that it's actually the way they want to cook it. Some of them now have more control on what's going on in the kitchen than others, but they all participate extremely well. You know, you don't agree to do the show unless you really want to do it. You know, you can't just go, oh, yeah, sure, we'll do the restaurant show. It'll be a bit of a laugh. It's actually a very hard day, and a lot of them don't realize how actually, they know how long it's going to be, but they really don't realize how physically demanding the whole show is. And how many would they be cooking for? How many diners would there be in the restaurant? We, uh, we serve uh, between 35 and 40 every night, depending on uh, what guests come down that are, are part of our sponsors and part of uh, TV3's crowd. So it, it, it really depends. It's normally about 40 people. So it's quite a, quite a serious undertaking for anybody to do it, you know. Um, a lot of people say, oh, no, they don't cook that. Or they don't. What, what happens is, is that the, some of the celebrities have gone to chefs in, uh, in wherever they're from, like a lot of them have gone to chefs in Dublin, to get some pointers on how to do a dish or to do a very complicated dish. And they would learn how to do it with some of the chefs in restaurants and gone in and practiced that and then brought it to, the rest- to our restaurant and uh, would have done it um, for, the, for the show, which is fine, you know, at least put a bit of effort into it. So if it, it's an all-day affair, you can only do one show a day then? That's it. We do one show per day and we normally do three shows back-to-back so, like, we go down to the wine port, we close the hotel, uh, we set our rest, take their restaurant out and set our restaurant up, which is different than the wine port restaurant, and uh, we light it and camera it and get it all prepared, and then we do three shows, I say, like, a Tuesday, Wednesday, and a Thursday, and then we break it down on Thursday, put the wine port back together again, and then leave, and then go back down the following week and do the same again. No, it has changed to an hour. It used to be 30 minutes, and now it's yeah, an hour. Yeah, it changed to an hour, which is kind of good because... I think before it was a really fast show mm. and it was probably too fast on TV. Yeah, you kind night. of blinked and it was nearly over, it really. Was, it was done, mm. yeah. So now you're getting to see a lot more of the cooking process, a lot more of the diner's reaction and a lot more of, uh, you know, what is really going on in the kitchen, which is great. You know, it's fantastic that it's an hour long because um, we can dress a little bit better as well and it's not so rushed and it looks a lot more elegant now and a lot more sophisticated which is great you know and out of all the guest chefs that you've worked with over the years which one really stood out for you who has been the best oh god there's been loads there's been loads of fantastic chefs and loads of people who are very passionate about food and then there was other ones who were really good fun and you couldn't shut them up for five seconds you know they were very very good for camera work like um jerry keen was like he just loves talking you know, and you can't shut the man up. And um, like uh, Tracy Piggott, who did a show years ago, um, uh, we had, um, what's her name? Um, Nora Casey did a show a couple of years ago, and she was fantastic. You know, the, those who have great knowledge of food are great to work with because they know what they're doing and, and they produce a really good menu. Um, those who don't and who try and wing it, we, sh- we see it and it's a stage show and it's a bit of a laugh. It's a TV show after all, you know. But you have to kind of not take it too seriously, but you enjoy it. And most who come down and do that uh, really enjoy what they're doing and have a bit of fun with it. And that's more important, I think, than anything else, you know. And what about then Paolo and Tom, the, the two critics, the restaurant critics that, that are there that have to go through it every single night? Do you feel but, sorry for them? Not at all. Should <laughs> 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 they have a great time altogether? I mean, that's their job. That's what they do on a daily basis, you know. They just, uh, they love it. They have great fun at it. You know what I mean? Trying to guess who it is. And they know a lot of the celebrities you see personally, so they try not to uh, 
be critical sometimes because if they do know them, they kind of go, oh, my God, I shouldn't have said that. Or, you know, a lot of that goes on as well. You know, I really didn't mean what I said, and I really shouldn't have said that, but they do, and they get themselves a little bit of hot water sometimes, but that's okay, too, you know. It's all done in jest, and I think, uh, you know, a lot of the times when uh, our critics do mess it up, or uh, celebrities do mess it up and cook a really bad menu, the guys try and be very sympathetic towards them and try and, you know, go, and it really wasn't that bad, and whereas, in fact, it was shocking. You know, so there's a bit of that goes on as well, you know. But, you know, everybody enjoys it and everybody realizes as well, because I do say to everybody on the show, you know, these people who cook in the kitchen, this is not their professional, this is not their job, this is not their profession. They have come down, they're lay people who come in and cook in a professional restaurant. So you have to be, they get one point for turning up kind of thing. You know what I mean? It's uh, You have to be a little bit sympathetic towards them as well. Um, you know, even though some, we, uh, they do put a lot of pressure on themselves sometimes, to, 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 the standards are very, very high, and they do uh, try and reach those standards on a, uh, on a nightly basis. So it is quite pressurized for our uh, celebrities. So our, our critics kind of like know that as well, you know, and they're sympathetic towards that. Like there's lots of people have got five stars. Is there anybody that has got one star, two star, or is three being the least? There's, two, there is a, there's been a, a good few two stars and three stars. Um, and I think five stars have become a very rare occurrence because the standards are so high. It's quite difficult now to reach five stars, and the menu has got to be perfect and perfectly executed for five stars, you know, um, and because, because we have raised the bar over the years. Yeah, it's a bit, it reminds me a bit of like Strictly Come Dancing. If you look at Strictly Come Dancing 10 years ago, the standard of the dancing compared to today, it's, yeah, you know, it's apples and oranges. Yeah. Well, that's what, that's what happens with, uh, with uh, you know, especially on a TV show. As you go down over the years, the standards get higher. People try harder. They see somebody else doing it and they want to do better. There's always a bit of competition going on, of course, you know. Uh, and that's what happens. And then suddenly you're into almost semi-professional cooking. Well, there's six weeks of it in this series and it has started a couple of weeks. It's on for an hour on a Wednesday night on TV3 at nine o'clock. Who else, who else do we, we have to see yet? Uh, Ross Purcell is coming on, the uh, model for slash celebrity. Uh, we have uh, Professor Mary Cassidy, our pathologist. She did a show. She's excellent. She'd be very good. And it'll be nice, I think, for people to see oh, yeah. a, a different, you know, somebody Absolutely. completely different that you'd never see that human side of. You know, yeah, we're like, for example, Ross is, a, is one of our Ireland's top models at the moment and she's in everything. And, you know, people have this preconceived idea that the models are a little bit kind of, you know, not intelligent whereas in fact Ross is completely the opposite and she has a great show and she has a great passion for food and she has great knowledge about food and that comes through you know she has a blog and she has a website and she does a lot of things behind all that as well uh, Professor Mary Cassidy of course we only see her jumping over fences in high heels and white coats and uh, on the TV as a state pathologist and a very serious job and then she we see her real side the real person behind the facade of the profession that she does uh, and it's great to see I'm great to meet her and she's a lovely lady and she, we, she, she did a fantastic show well it's on tomorrow night at 9 o'clock as I said on TV3 and I certainly yep. will be tuning in and John thanks so much for talking to me this evening my, my pleasure I hope you enjoy the show cheers chin chin salut schleinte Great to chat to John Healy. And don't forget that the restaurant is on again tomorrow night, Wednesday at 9pm. And there's another three after that for us to enjoy. If you've missed any of them, I'm sure you can catch up 
on them on the three player. Now details of an event taking place this weekend. It's on in County Kilkenny and the focus is on bread. It's part of a series entitled Real Food, the stories of passionate makers. And I spoke earlier to the organizer Keith Bohanna to find out more. Bon appetit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Keith, thanks so much for taking the call tonight because I know you're actually on the move at the moment. Sitting on a train waiting to leave the station in Dublin. So you're a busy man and you've organised a great event for this weekend, Saturday the 24th of January at 6 o'clock. It's called Meet the Beggars. Tell us what it's all about. This is the fifth in a series of events which I've organised in Kilkenny over the last year. Really simply, this one as with the other four, is done with the aim of bringing three great food producers into a room with an audience of about 70 people and just getting them to share their stories and their passions. So Meet the Bakers 2, which is on Saturday evening, is a repeat of the very first event that we ran a year ago on the 25th of January 2014 when we had Declan Ryan, Joe Fitzmaurice and Josephine Plettenberg on stage sharing their passion for real bread. So it's the three of them coming back together? Yes, the only one I'm going to do that with for me, the very first one was really, really special, and I don't think I'm going to do the repeat of the panel for any other sector. I don't think it will work, but this one does, and this one has the added twist where for the second half of the event, we're going to launch Real Bread Ireland. Just explain what the format is, the first the first hour. Deliberately, although I'm very heavily involved in technology and digital, it is very deliberately a very acoustic um, informal setting so for any of the standard events and it will be like that for the first hour of this one we get each of the producers to come on stage and just talk for 20 minutes 25 minutes about their backstory about what drives them about what makes what they do so special for them about the passions and about their plans uh, there's no presentations there's no PA there's no speakers uh, there's no technology involved at all and at any point during those each of those individual sessions, people ask questions from the audience. The audiences are really engaged and really interactive. And then once the three producers are finished, they off it down on the sofa and um, we have about half an hour to 45 minutes of uh, constant chat and discussion with the audience to the point where I pretty much say very little because the audiences run with it. Well, I've met Joe Fitzmaurice before and I've interviewed him for the show and he's so passionate about his craft. Ah, uh, he comes from a very special place and I have a lot of time for Joe. Got to know him over the last couple of years. I would have been, my background is I'm vegetarian, was vegetarian, now vegan, and I would have known the Blazing Salad family going back to the days of, of Powers Court in Dublin when the sisters had the restaurant and they now obviously have the, the deli and would have become aware of Joe probably four or five years ago as he moved into expanding the bakery into the large industrial unit which subsequently um, closed down. And now he's based in Clock Jordan. Yeah, I've only been twice to Clock Jordan. I've never visited Joe. So at some point this year I'm going to treat myself with my son and uh, go over and do one of Joe's baking courses. So that's the first hour of the event and then the second hour you said there's going to be the launch of Real Bread Ireland. Although I wear a completely different hat in my day job, all of my work around food is done as a consumer. So I'm really passionate about small scale food production and for me as a consumer it's really, really frustrating right now because it's very, very difficult to the point of impossible to find 
and identify good, properly produced real bread. Um, over the last couple of years, there have been so many premixes launched into the market where commercial bakers, and not even bakers, um, I guess assemblers of bread can take premixes and put them into an oven and bake bread that has the look and feel of, of proper bread. So it's very, very difficult for me as a consumer to find bread or for anyone as a consumer. And after the first baker's event last year, um, there was a lot of demand from retailers in the southeast, small independent retailers, looking for suppliers of real bread to discover that there is no list anywhere, nor is there anyone who knows all of them. So Real Bread Ireland has two very, very simple functions. One is to help consumers find and identify real bread so they can buy more of it. And secondly, it's a network to help um, bakers as peers to support each other as they either from scratch launch in the production of properly produced real bread or as they move possibly elements of their production from standard bread as it is now into real bread production much easier to do obviously if you if you have the support of others who have been through that journey so from the public's perspective will real bread ireland have a website or a facebook page or something where people can go on and find out where they can where they can source it absolutely um realbreadireland.org is the website right now so it shows the six founding members there is a twitter account which is real bread irl and we haven't yet, yet yet got around to a Facebook page, but we will do. And do you have ambassadors in different parts of the country for the Real Bread Ireland? For example, Val O'Connor in Limerick. She wrote a book last year, and I'd say she's very pro Real Bread. She is, and she's gonna she's going to be coming along on Saturday night and selling her book. We have people coming from Sligo and Mayo as well as Limerick. We have uh, one of the founding bakers is coming from Slow Food Co in Donegal. We have Declan Ryan from Arbutus in Cork. We've obviously got Joe from Tipperary. We have Patrick Ryan from Dalgany in Wicklow and we have uh, Piero from Tartine Bakery in Dublin as well as Josephine Plettenberg from Kilkenny. So we have a really good regional spread among the first six but that's only the beginning and what's been fascinating over the last week and with the support of people like yourself and um, the publicity from John and Sally McKenna is that there are an enormous number of small-scale artisan bakers emerging and following us on Twitter and contacting us via the website to who want to become part of this. And if anybody wants to get in touch with you to arrange to get tickets for this Saturday night, how do they go about that? Uh, com, so B-I-A-B-E-A-G.com, which is obviously small food. Um, when you go there, you'll immediately see the event details and there's a link to buy tickets. And how much are the tickets? The tickets are €8 or €5 for Slow Food Ireland members. All the best with it and thanks so much for taking the call this evening. Sharon, thank you so much. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleunter. So that brings us to the end of tonight's show. Thanks so much for your company and to all of tonight's guests. Ron Forrestal, Dee Laffin, John Healy and Keith Bohanna. Remember the podcast at soundcloud.com forward slash food dash and dash drink dash show. If you missed any of the show tonight or maybe even an older one or if you want to tell a pal. I'll be back at the same time next week, all being well. So until then, have a great week and bon appétit. 
Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book, or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit!